0: Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, church family. Good to see all your smiling faces. Good to be in God's house. There was a woman who was three months pregnant, She fell into a deep coma. Six months later, she awakes and asks the doctor about her baby. Doctor said, you had twins, a boy and a girl. And both are fine, and luckily your brother named them for you. The woman said, oh no, not my brother. He's a complete idiot. What did he name the girl? Denise. Lady said, okay, that's not so bad. What did he call the boy? The doctor said, the nephew. My name is Rick Thompson. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. We are in our summer series. It's getting hot out there, isn't it? It's getting hot out. In our summer series that we are simply calling Godly Girls and Wild Women. Don't miss this series. We got four or five of them that we're picking out, some of the godly girls in the scripture and some of the wild women. All of them we will learn something from. So, Again, we'll be investigating several of them, women of intrigue in the Bible. They had some serious choices to make. Some of those choices involved espionage and injustice and even murder. And so we're gonna look at their lives, their backgrounds and see what what were the turning points of their lives and events that caused them to become either a godly girl or a wild woman. Now, truth be told, Some of them started out as wild, and then they ended up as godly girls, right? And some, of them, and some of them were in roles where they could have and should have been godly, but they took on a turn to the wild side. But we can learn something from all of them. Because I believe that every life, listen to me this morning, every life is telling a tale of something. Especially since we're made in the image and likeness of God. Every life has a lesson that can be learned, good or bad, godly or wild. The Apostle Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 3. He said, You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. And so every life is saying something. That's easy to see in a few cases. I mean, when I say the name Mother Teresa, what does her life suggest to us? Come on, just call it out. Sacrifice? Go ahead. What else? Service, love, compassion, faith, right? She went into some of the worst areas in, in India, and, and she just poured out her life there. Obedience. Obedience. I like that. What about Hitler? What does his life say? <laughs> yeah, right? Death, hatred, division. How about someone from the Bible? Samson. What does his life say? Strength. What else? Disobedience. 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 Lust. Mistakes, you think he has some regrets? How about someone from our century, Dr. Martin Luther King, what does his life say? Peace, love, acceptance, unity, right? How about uh, Will Smith, recent, Will Smith? His life is saying something right about now. Listen, Will Smith is my favorite. Uh, action uh, uh, actor out there, and then he made some mistakes, and so, so his life is saying something, right? Brilliant, uh, troubled maybe at this time. How about the the, the 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 basketball player that just just came back out of uh, what's her name? Uh, Brittany Griner. Brittany Griner. What does her life say? Do you know who she is? She she's the NBA uh, basketball player. who who refuses to stand for the pledge to the flag at the beginning because this country is so racist and whatever. Then she went to Russia, her her place where it's supposed to be awesome, and they arrested her for having like a gram of weed, and she spent 10 months in a Russian prison until they finally got her out, and guess what now she's doing? She's standing for the pledge to the flag. She says, it, mean, it means something totally different to her now. It just took her 10 months in a Russian prison to figure out that this is the greatest country on the planet. Come on, somebody. And so everyone's lives are saying something to the person well, I want to look at this morning is I want to look at, as you might have guessed, is Hannah. And what is her life saying? As we investigate, we're going to see that her life became synonymous with great faith, with perseverance and truly a godly girl. Now, we're not just going to focus on the godly girls. We're going to focus also on the wild women, and we're going to focus on those who transition during this uh, series. But we find her in 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a, it says, There was a certain man from Ramathame, a Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Alkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf. An Ephraimite. he had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Now the Bible reveals that Hannah came on the scene during a time when Israel was in a bit of a disarray, a bit of a mess. In Judges chapter 17, verse 6, it says, "In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right." in their own eyes. And so basically, it was a period uh, uh, toward the end of a constant cycle of Israel sinning and then judgment being pronounced on them and then uh, they turn. They, then God would turn them over to their enemies and after they suffered for a while, they would cry out to the Lord and repent and then God would send a deliverer and, and, and then they would just hit the repeat button again once things calmed down And they would start to go back to the sinning cycle again. And this went on for years. And God was about to change all that, starting from from this chapter forward, because rather than being led by prophets and judges, God would eventually give them what they wanted, a king or monarch. Who remember what the first king or monarch was to be named? What was his name? Saul. We just talked about him a few weeks ago, right? We called him Butterfingers. he had a call on his life, but he allowed it to slip through his fingers. Uh, Because the people, again, they would repent for a while, then they'd just go back to doing what was right in their own eyes, which probably explained why at this point, Alcana took for himself two wives. Now, historians tell us that Hannah came first, and then came Penina Penina, but truth be told, he probably did it for practical reasons. Children were Everything. Back in those days, there was no social security. There's no nursing homes or government assistance. If you didn't have a child to look after you in your old age, you'd have a problem. All right. And when you died, you'd have no one in your family to leave it to. And so right away, we start to see the plight of Hannah. The Bible reveals to us that she is childless and for some reason she couldn't have children a condition that many believed in those days was a curse from, the, from God. And so I can almost hear the conversation that went on in her house between her, her and her husband when it was just the two of them. Babe, I love you. You mean the world to me. <laughs> We've been trying now for a few years, but I'm going to need some children. So I'm taking on a second wife. And could you imagine how she felt in that moment? And that wasn't the worst of it. Hannah, the second wife, was, a, was a, a baby factory. I mean, every time he walked past her, she was getting pregnant. And apparently, uh, she just couldn't take the win, being the second wife and being the one that was having all the children, because every chance she had, she was rubbing it in Hannah's face. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 4. Whenever the day came for Alkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Can we say mean girl? This went on year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival... Provoked her till she wept and would not eat. So what's what's happening here? They'd go up yearly for sacrifice, and with that, Alkanah would divide up the meat, whatever they were going to uh, sacrifice to the Lord. They were allowed to take it, and once it was sacrificed, to divide it among their family. He would divide up the meat between his wives and his children, but because. He loved Hannah because he adored her, he felt sorry for her, and he'd give her a double portion. Well, Penina, the second wife, didn't take too kindly to that, uh, and clearly it provoked her to jealousy whenever she would see that happen. So, what she do? she she made fun of Hannah every chance she got. Now, remember back in those days, to be childless or barren was to be considered to, to have a curse or a curse from God, and so she made sure to point it out and to rub it in her face at every turn. I can imagine what she would say. She'd say, look, look, at, my, look at my children, uh, Hannah. Per- perhaps we can have a play date. Oh, my bad. Uh, I have to go to someone else to, to hang out with. Uh, you don't have any kids for us to play with. So sorry. Or <laughs> maybe I'll hold on some clothes, you know, from some, from, for some hand-me-downs. Wait, wait, but you don't, have, you don't have any kids for me to pass them down to. I'll just donate them to Goodwill, and it was just kind of mean stuff like that. She was constantly rubbing things in her face, and the Bible says this went on for years. I looked up, I looked up the history, and, and uh, the historical uh, records declare that she was in this situation for like 19 years. It's a long time that this was going on. So day in and day out, until Hannah was in tears the Bible says she wouldn't eat. And when you're not eating and you're in tears, what's going on? She's depressed, right? She recognizes that she's not uh, fulfilling the role that she expected in this marriage, and now this woman is in her house or in her sphere of influence, and she's rubbing it in. Now, what's remarkable about all this is Hannah never gives it back. She never, the Bible doesn't record it, anyway, if she did, she doesn't give it back to her. Now, can I just say, that wouldn't be me. It wouldn't be most of you guys. I know most of you guys. wouldn't be anyone in my family, right? Uh, you'd be like, yeah, that's okay. News alert. You're the side chick. <laughs> you'd have something to say. <laughs> he loves me more than he loves you. Or oh, you would say something like, by the way, Miss Baby Factory, here's some temp material. You're going to need it for your moo dresses? Your figures all over the place. You'd have something to point out negative in that situation. But seriously, Hannah, through it or all, through the pain, through the disappoint, disappointment, she says nothing. Not to her, anyway. And so, my question to you is what do you do when you're disappointed? When things aren't going the way you want or you expect? And the truth of the matter is, for many of us, it's, 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 I call it wine and cheese time or moan and groan time. You, you don't get the promotion you think you deserve, and now everybody's got to know about it. You're having car trouble, and the world is coming to an end. You, you're constantly complaining about why you didn't get invited to the party. I, I came across a post a, a while ago in which... Uh, I'm not going to mention her name, but she admits that it makes her very upset when she sees her friends liking other people's posts but not hitting the like button for hers. Can someone say, "Oh, Aw. I mean, that's sad. I mean, like people starving all over the world. There's a, there's a war going on in Europe and people are dying, but somebody didn't hit her like button. This wasn't a teenager. This was a grown woman. And as extreme as this sounds, this this isn't an isolated incident because if we're honest in the back of many of our minds, we think somehow God is ripping us off if things don't go exactly the way we had planned them. Having trouble with your marriage or your finances or your job's not quite going the way you think or there's issues with your friends. and, And instead of just, you know, taking it on the chin. We complain and we complain and we complain. Or others just give up. Give up on their walk with the Lord or give up on relationships. Lots of marriages do that. We've already established that marriages are hard and relationships are hard because there are usually at least two sinners in every relationship. Come on, somebody. And unless we decide to try to work it out in a loving and selfless biblical manner, that marriage could very well fall apart. But that's not just true about marriages. That's true about many situations. The pastor might come up on the podium and it might be time to, to preach on, on tithing. And he'll come up with this great illustration about a father who goes out to your favorite donut plates, whether it's Dunkin' Donuts or if it's Krispy Kreme. And he picks up 10, 10 uh, uh, donuts and he brings them home and he gives them to you. And he turns to you and he says, Okay, just give me back one of them. Let me just have one of them. These are my donuts. Well, I just want one of them back. And that's literally what God does for us. He, he gives us everything that everything we have comes from the Lord. Come on, somebody. And he says, just give me back one. Give me back 10% of what I've given you. And so so, so you like the illustration and you think, you know what, I'm gonna give that one, I'm gonna give that one a try, right? And, and you go home and you adjust your budget and you write out for the, for your first time, your first tie check. And, and, and you're not gonna lie, it was hard. You do it for maybe two or three weeks until you notice things have gotten just a little bit tighter. And in order to keep this thing going, you have to give something up, like like your your, your daily trips to Starbucks where, where you get your, your your $10 latte or whatever grande. You ever been to Starbucks? It's confusing. Or, or, or you have to maybe cancel your HBO subscription or not keep buying the the, na- the next latest and greatest iPhone 15, 16, and 17 that cost $1,500 and nothing was wrong with the last one that you had. You may have to cancel an app or two on your data plan on your phone, and you think to yourself, well, God doesn't expect me to do that. I mean, how am I going to watch Netflix at work? (laughs) And after three or four weeks, you're back just leaving God a tip every once in a while because... It's just too hard. And the irony of it all, they found this statistically, that people will pay more for their Wi-Fi or their multiple apps on their smartphone or smart TV than they give to God on a regular basis. That's just sad. And so what can we learn from the life of Hannah? Well, with Hannah, the first thing is obvious. I want you to write this down. There was no complaining that we see. There was no complaining. Now, was she upset? Obviously. But she's not a complainer or someone who maliciously lashes out with side comments and digs. I was just joking. It wasn't that she thought she was better than anyone else. It's just that 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 her, her difficult circumstances revealed her godly character. Now, how many of you know it's easy to do that Christian thing when everything is well? Come on, somebody. When the bills are paid and you're getting along with your wife, and you know, the wind is at your back and the sun is at your face, and you get in the car, it drives well, and nobody, you don't have a panina or panina in your life, you know, squawking in your ear. Everything is fine. The kids are doing what they're supposed to do. It's easy to do that Christian thing. But let me tell you something, add a little pressure or conflict. To the maximum, and, and what's really on the inside of you is going to come out. It's going to come out, and in her case, it did come out. It came out in a flood of tears. How many of you know it's okay to cry? Come on, somebody. Amen. It, it, Jesus wept. Jesus cried. But that wasn't the issue. It's not about the crying. It's who you're crying to. Come on. First Samuel chapter one verse eight. Hannah. "'Why are you crying?' her husband, Alkanah asked. "'Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? "'Am I not better to you than ten sons?' "'And Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. "'Eli the priest was sitting on the chair "'by the doorpost of the Lord's tabernacle. "'Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord "'and wept with many tears.'" "'And so with Hannah, there was no complaining.'" At least to the people around her, but there was also tears and pain. but who did she direct them to? She directed them to the Lord. I want you to write that down. She directed them to the Lord. Again, I call your attention to remember this is not just going on for a day or a month or a week. Oh, you know, you know this is going on for years. The same scene played out over and over on a yearly basis. They'd come for worship and they'd sacrifice. And every year, her sister wife would be pushing out babies and raking her over the coals. But instead of complaining to people, she persistently cried out to the Lord. And even her husband tried to console her, but in the end, what was he going to do? Because her situation was in the hand of God, because only God was able to change the circumstances. She knew it, because he alone had the ability. You see, the same one who hangs the stars in space and Spoke and said, "Let there be," and it was. That's the same one who 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 the Bible says the sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without him knowing, and the very hairs of our heads are numbered. He is the only one who can change anything, and so the Bible says, "Cast your cares on him, because he cares for you." First Samuel chapter one verse eleven. And making a vow, she pleaded, "Lord of hosts, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember." And not forget me and give your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and his hair will never be cut. When he says his hair will never be cut, when you dedicated a son to the Lord and they didn't cut your hair, it was a Nazarite vow that he, she, she was going to uh, uh, implement on his life. It means you're set apart for the work of the Lord. Verse 12. And while she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her lips. And Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. And Eli thought she was drunk and scolded her. How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine!" See, he thinks that she's come to the church, and she's been hitting the sauce. And so he looks over at her, and, and she's praying, but nothing's coming out. And her lips are moving, and Eli, who is the high priest, Uh, mistakenly thinks that she's drunk and how disrespectful are you to come to church in that state of mind. Verse 15, No, my Lord, Hannah replied, I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Now talk about adding insult to injury. To be so misjudged, given what she's been going through. Anyone ever been there? The good news is that even if people misjudge you because they're looking at outward circumstances, how many know God knows your heart? Amen. Amen. And maybe you've never been to that point in your life where you where your you, 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 things have gotten so crazy, and but you have no place else to go, but To the Lord and to the people looking on, you know they they just think, "What's going on with with you?" Or or, 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 or," to the fact that now it seems like you become religious because they don't understand that. Listen, I'm 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 going through this, but I'm not doing it for your pleasure. I'm not even talking to you. I'm talking to Jesus. Amen? Amen. When you get to the point where you're just so broken, and if God doesn't come through it feels like there is no hope or all hope is lost. Maybe you're out there and you're having marriage issues or your children are giving you nothing but grief or you're about to lose your job and possibly the place where you live and you don't know what you're going to do, but whatever it is, nobody else understands the depth of your pain. No one else understands your anguish and sorrow or your trial and they think they know, but they don't know. That's exactly where she was. She, but she sets the record straight, and, and Eli responds, in First Samuel chapter one verse 17, Eli answers, "Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him." And she said, "May your servant find favor in your eyes." And then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Now what happened? One moment she's despondent, she's downcast, and she's in despair, now she's eating and she's on her way. But I'm going to tell you what happened. She took what Eli, the the prophet, who was the high priest of the time, said as a word from the Lord. Come on, somebody. And it brought her immediate peace. Can I get a witness? You ever got to that place where all—I things are going so bad and then all of a sudden you hear on the radio or you open up your Bible and you read and and it feels like a word was directly to you and it brings peace to you. It's the Lord working. Things on the outside hasn't changed, but something on the inside just aligned with the word of the Lord and you just know that you know that you know that God's going to work it out. That's where she was. Something has shifted in her spirit. And so she, 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 she's no longer depressed or despondent because she knew that God had heard her. Now, listen to me. God invites every single one of us to that place of peace. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And what does it say? Amen. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, give all your worries and cares to God. Why? For he cares about you. Matthew eleven twenty eight: 28, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. What had happened with Hannah? Hannah had cast her tears on God. And in that moment, she received the peace that passes all understanding because in that moment she felt like God had heard her. And so Hannah was one that didn't complain. And she was one that directed her tears and pain not toward other people, but she directed them toward God. And let me give you the third one. With Hannah, there was no quitting. Because she trusted God no matter what. She trusted God no matter what. Why? Because she knew that God is good and all things work together for the good of those who love Him. Amen. Okay. Now, I think she also understood that God's timing is everything. Anyone ever felt like that they were in a hurry, but God wasn't? Yeah. Come on somebody where God just kind of puts you in what we call his waiting room, and you've been praying for a situation or circumstance, but it doesn't seem like things are happening as quickly as you want them to. Why does God do that? Because what's happening in us is more important than what God is doing for us. Let me say that again. What's happening in us is more important than what God is doing for us. Hannah wouldn't stop praying as she cried out to the Lord until she received an answer in her spirit. My question to you today is, what has stopped you from praying? What has stopped you from praying? Is it when you don't see that immediate response or you've been praying for the same things for days and weeks and months and in some cases years and all of a sudden now you've just given up? Let me remind you, Sometimes God says yes immediately. And sometimes he, he says, no, that what you're planning to do is not my word for your life and it's only going to mess you up. And sometimes he says, wait, come on somebody, and persevere and endure because the timing isn't right yet. Did Hannah's perseverance pay off? It paid off in spades, 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 19. It says the entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. And then, then they returned home to Ramah where Alkana slept with Hannah and the Lord remembered her plea. And in due time, someone say due time. She gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel for she said, I asked the Lord for him. And that's exactly what Samuel means. It says, it means literally God has heard or asked or lent of the Lord. So not only did God answer her prayers by opening her womb and blessing her with a child, how many know that this child will be one of the greatest prophets and leaders that Israel would ever have? And she fulfilled her promise to the Lord by raising him set apart as a Nazarene and giving him to the Lord. And in response, God, the Lord, went ahead and gave her three more sons and two more daughters. How many is that now? That's five plus Samuel is six, completely shutting the mouth of Penina. Come on. Her big mouth sister wife, just saying. How many know that when God blesses you, he blesses you good? That he has the ability to shut the mouths of your enemies. He says, declare to David, I prepared a place for you in the presence of your enemies. I love that in my spirit because it tells me that, it says, I, I prepared a place for you. It didn't say, I just prepared a place for you. I prepared a place for you in the presence of your enemies, meaning I've raised you up. And even though they had something to say, it doesn't matter what they say. It only matters what he says. And he's going to let them see <laughs> that what, what he can do for those who put their trust in him. Come on, somebody and he'll raise you up. Even though they say you're going to fail, even though they say you're going backwards, even though they say you're a fool for following Jesus, he says, I'm going to raise you up in the presence. They might get a little jealous, but that's okay. Your blessing is coming. Turn to someone and say, your blessing is coming. But the key to Hannah's success was what God was doing on the inside of her through prayer and perseverance. Hannah was a godly girl and a great wife and a great mom because she knew where to go to find her answers. Let me suggest to you today, those who are here and those who are watching online, instead of complaining to your friends and your family, Cry out to God. Take it to the Lord. He hears us. The Bible says it is a free invitation to come boldly into his throne room of grace. In fact, that's what Hannah's name means. It means grace. (laughs) To come into his presence and to pour out your supplications before him. And whatever you do, whatever you do, do not quit. Because your blessing is coming. It's coming. God has heard you. And the blessing comes to those who persevere. And lastly, if everyone's lives are saying something, what is your life saying? If everyone's life is a letter to someone, like Mother Teresa and... Hitler and Will Smith and, and all these others. What is your life saying? Are you declaring in one breath I'm a Christ follower but the evidence is not seen in the way you are leading your family in the places that you are going and the things that you're allowing. Will someone look at you and say that, yeah, that's a man of God? Or would they say, no, that's a walking contradiction to the things of the Lord? What is your life saying? If it's more wild than godly, I invite you today to make a change and surrender your life to the only one who has the ability to make those changes permanent. Come on, somebody. And his name is Jesus. Amen? His name is Jesus. And God wants intimate relationship with all of us and he provided the means in which we can have a relationship with him by sending his son, his one and only son. Because he knew that we were all in the same condition of sin sin that separates us from a relationship with him. And the Bible says he loved us too much to allow that to go on. And so he sent his son to pay the penalty for my sins and your sins and the sins of the world. And in sending his son to pay our penalties, that chasm between us and him was brought together if I put my faith and trust in Christ and acknowledge that I am a sinner I need a savior Jesus came to pay for my sins and in that one act of sacrifice he's restored the ability for me to be in relationship because all my sins have been washed away and in its place he offers me the righteous robes of his son so when God looks at me now in the day that I repented he doesn't see old Rick He sees his son who's been washed in the blood of Jesus. Come on, somebody. And because I've been washed in the blood of Jesus, now I can have a relationship with him. I can say, I can come boldly into his throne room with grace, not because I'm good, I'm not good, because God is good and he sent his good son to pay for my sins, amen? And now I can walk with him and talk with him on a daily. And I can get instructions from him And instead of becoming somebody who's constantly complaining about the things that's going on in the world, I can bring my petitions to the Lord, and he hears me. Because he's the one that has the ability to make the changes in our lives. What is your life saying? Is it more... Godly than wild, and if it's more wild than godly, I invite you to put your trust in Jesus and allow Him to turn you into that godly man and woman of God He called you to be. If you've not yet done so, it be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer of commitment to Him. And I say, we're to bow their heads and to close their eyes and to say something like this from their heart: "Say, Heavenly Father." I acknowledge that I have blown it in multiple ways. The things that I've said, the things that I've done. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Lord, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross 2,000 years ago, not for his sins. He had none to die for my sins, and I acknowledge that sacrifice was made for me. Today, I ask you to come into my life, to come into my heart, to be the Lord of my life. Today, Father, I ask you to set me apart for your work by your grace. I come just as I am. I am not perfect. None of us are. But I know that I'm perfectly loved by you. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you that three days later, your son Jesus rose from the dead. And because he lives, I will live as well. I give you my all today. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all said, Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast, if you haven't already, and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So, thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.